Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's Wednesday, June 1st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Have you ever tried to read the different privacy policies of all the apps on your phone? No one has. Our next guest tried to see how much reading he would have to do to get through all of it, and it came out to one million words. It's one of the ongoing discussions around what data is collected and how it is shared, but rarely does anyone get through it, much less understand it all. To that end, tech companies are trying to simplify the language of these policies and make it more digestible. Lawmakers are even working on legislation that could make these policies clearer. Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist at the Washington Post, joins us for how we could use technology to protect our privacy, not just invade it. Next, plant-based food has come a long way in the last decade and has much more to go, but it hasn't always tasted the best, and it's a hurdle that companies will have to overcome as we look to the future. Many companies are still banking on a plant-based future as they continue to pour billions of dollars into the industry. But to capture the stomachs of more customers, they will have to battle rising meat consumption and continue to improve flavors. Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox, tells us what he's learned from months of eating vegan food samples. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I was copying and pasting them into Google Docs and there were so many that I actually broke Google Docs and I had to like make wow. multiple Google Docs pages. And then I t- you know, told them up and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like th- this is not protecting anybody's privacy. This is only protecting corporations. Joining us now is Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. You bet. Jeff, we always love your columns. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in there. You're always uh, very thorough and really cool things going on. This story, actually, that we're going to talk about is part of a new series called We the Users that you're going through, uh, just kind of exploring technology, privacy, affordable internet access, choice, and transparency, offering solutions, which is an important thing, which I always yeah. love. And the first piece right here that we, that I did, the thing that caught my eye, I tried to read all my app privacy policies. It was one million words. And we've talked about this before, how, you know, a lot of people just don't read them. They gloss over them. You know, you're in a hurry to use an app or whatever the service is. Mm-hmm. And you really just don't go through it. And then later on, we, there's issues about how your data, what data was collected, how it was used. There was a 2019 Pew survey that found that only 9% of Americans say they always read their privacy policies. Uh, so, you know, we know it's a big problem. And we're seeing some companies try to make them simpler, a little easier to digest, but there's still problems with all of it. So Jeff, tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah, I mean, those 9% who said they always read them, they were lying, of course, <laughs> because I think the number is even smaller. Look, you know, it's, it's the biggest little lie of our digital lives that all day long we're using apps and websites and gadgets, and they come up with a little button that says, you know, agree to continue, and we want to get to the thing. We want to get to the website, get to the app, and we click agree, saying that we have read the privacy policy, read the terms of service, and that we consent to them. And unfortunately, the way the whole system's set up right now, when you click that, you're giving them legal right to take whatever data they mentioned in that privacy policy and do what they want to with it. And then when something goes wrong, as keeps happening in our society, we get blamed, right? We're made right. to feel guilty because, well, you should have read it. You should have gone through it. Um, so I did this experiment uh, where I tried to like total up all of the apps, uh, the privacy policies just on my phone. It was ridiculous. I was copying and pasting them into Google Docs, and there were so many that I actually broke Google Docs, and I had to like make wow. multiple Google Docs pages. And then I, you know, told them up, and I was like, "This is ridiculous. Like, th this is not protecting anybody's privacy. This is only protecting corporations. Yeah. This is only protecting lawyers." So what can we do about it? Like, so what are we supposed to, what's supposed to be the response? And I got some good news. Like there are actually some good ideas out there about like, basically let's get rid of this whole notion. Let's abolish the notion of privacy policies that we all have to read and protect us with some laws or use some technology instead. I mean, we're almost held hostage by these things, right? Let's say you want to use a Twitter or a Facebook I mean, really, there's not many other places to go, and that's where everybody else is. So if you want to use it, you kind of have to agree to these things. Yeah, so exactly. that's kind of one of the tough things. Okay, so to that end, right, let's talk a little bit about Twitter specifically. They just simplified their privacy policy earlier in the month. They actually made a cute little video game so that it can kind of walk you through and you hit little benchmarks in the game and it'll give you a tidbit about what the privacy policy is, uh, you know, an easier way to help you digest it. Tell me about that because it's an interesting way to kind of get around. I played a little bit of the game just to kind of get through of it. I gave up right away too. <laughs> so, so even then I didn't even read the whole thing. But, but tell us oh, what they're man. doing. We are so hosed. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Look, Twitter's what kind of inspired me to go down this path because they reached out I talked to the chief privacy officer and they were like, look, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to make, make this like understandable, digestible. So people want to engage with it. And like, I have, I like, I thank them for that. I have great sympathy for that. But the truth of the matter is, as you just proved that like, we just don't have time for that. Right. So even if they make it a fun game, like there's just so much other stuff going on in our lives that asking us to like engage with it and try to understand it is just never really going to be a math solution here. In fact, I'll give another great example. So last week, Facebook just updated its privacy policies too. And they said, oh, we made it simpler. They, they dumbed it down to, like they said, a secondary school reading level instead of a college reading level. But in the process, they tripled the length to 12,000 words. Wow. I'm just like, who are you helping with these 12,000 words? Yeah. Um, so what I came away with from talking to Twitter and then Facebook and these other companies was, you know what? It's never going to work for us to expect us to, to, to read these, even if you make the language simpler, even if you, you know, make it fun, even if you make it into a game, because we're just too overwhelmed. There's just too much stuff going on in society that that's collecting our data and using it, that we don't have time to, to balance all of that. So what we need is, 
laws that say, let's start with laws that say, you know what, if you're going to take someone's data, you can only take the data that, that, that you need to perform that one specific service. You can't take all this extra stuff. You can't go you know, around with the, the hungry, hungry hippo of data and just gobble up anything you can get your hands on, which is the current situation, right? And we all know that. But like, they're just siphoning up our phone. Like, we, it starts with like a law that says you just can't do that anymore. And to that end, there is a, a group of lawmakers that are trying to go one approach. They have it. It's called the TLDR approach. Too long, didn't read, which obviously makes complete sense on that. Uh, on the side note of this, you have a fun little calculator on the page for this for this story. Uh, how many words would you have to read to consent to your app? So basically. Just a big average, right? How many pages of apps do you have? You fill that in. You know, if you have three pages of apps, you have 302,400 words of privacy policies. It's going to take you 20 hours to read all the way through just for the stuff that you currently have, right? I mean, this is, it's pretty insane. So tell us a little bit about this approach from lawmakers and at least what they're working on that on that end. So first of all, Congress has been talking about a privacy law for like decades. I mean, probably longer than, you know, uh, many of our listeners have been alive. Um, and yet they haven't really taken taken much, uh, uh, hasn't really gone very far. Um, but there are some interesting moves kind of around the edges. And one of them is this too long didn't read bill. And what it would do is it does two things. One is it would require um, you know, apps, websites, you name it, to make essentially kind of like a nutrition label that goes on their uh, on their uh, on the product that would use some consistent language and icons to describe what data they're taking and what they're doing with it. So what I like about this idea is that actually the, the thing that's most exciting to me is that it would make it consistent because right now, having looked at a lot of privacy policies myself because of my experiment, like it's just, it's all over the map. Like nobody's consistent. So if you, if you do that, then the next thing that can happen that's really interesting is that they can then be tagged. So once it's tagged, like, you know, like shares information to a third party for advertising or whatnot, once it's tagged, then it can be read by computers. And this is where things get really interesting because when it's read by computers, that means we don't have to read them anymore. Exactly. That means we can have kind of like software, like on our phone or in our web browser, that can be kind of like a privacy butler. Like imagine like you're setting up an iPhone and you say, and Siri pops up and I was like, hey, I wonder how much you care about privacy. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. You said yes or no, and I'll take care of it from there. That would be amazing because we shouldn't have to consent every single one of these things. We should kind of do it once and like let the technology handle it for us. Yeah. I, I totally like that idea, right? Take you through a list of check boxes and whatnot. That way you understand it a little easier and you know what's being collected because you do make a big point in this, right? So these are just the apps and the websites that we want to use. But increasingly, everything is in a connected world, right? All these other devices are increasingly connecting mm -hmm. to our phones and those apps. So it's not just that. It's everything that is a possibility. And you mentioned, too, what's the harm, right? So what data are we giving away? Well, there's a lot of things that we're just consenting to it, and we just don't know what or how it's going to be used against us. Yeah, the thing about data is you might think you, you understand it in one moment, but then times change. Something shifts and all of a sudden it looks totally different. I can give you like one example that is on a lot of people's minds right now is that we, we heard that the Supreme Court is has a draft opinion to potentially overturn Roe versus Wade. That would mean that in some states, abortion could soon become illegal. If, if that happens, data that's on your phone 
because your phone knows everything about you. It knows what you search for. It knows where you go in the maps, has your location, has all this sort of stuff. That, that data could be used as evidence that someone has sought abortion in a state where it is newly illegal. So all of a sudden, it's no longer just like, oh, you get annoying, like targeted ads on your phone. Now it's a, it's a civil rights question, all for the same stuff that's going on on your phone. Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You bet. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I think one of the biggest issues that we're seeing is that they're just rushing products to market too fast. They're trying to kind of strike while the plant-based iron is hot. And we're seeing that that it could be turning potential flexitarians away from repeat purchases. Joining us now is Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Kenny. Thanks for having me, Oscar. All right, let's talk about plant-based foods. I love talking about food just in general, but this has always been one of those parts of the food industry that really intrigue me. And, uh, you know, we've been seeing the growth of plant-based foods for a long time now. Uh, You know, a lot of people are now familiar with Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible Foods as well. But there's a bunch of players on the scene with all of this. But we don't know what the future of this always looks like. Some of these products don't really taste good a lot of times. There's so much that goes into it. And Kenny, since you follow this stuff, plant-based food industry for Vox, you get a lot of samples ahead of time on things. And you get to go try out new things to some of these cell-cultured meat analogs and whatnot. So you uh, were talking about kind of how some of these products are very hit and miss. Tell us a little bit more about it. That's right. Yeah. So in my job at Vox, I cover the plant-based food industry. And so a lot of startups reach out to me and they want to send me free samples, which, of course, I oblige because like you, I, I love food. I love trying new foods. And some of them are really delicious. There's been a lot of progress in the last five years, especially around the buzz with Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, like you mentioned. And there's been a lot of startups that have come out of that excitement. And a lot of investors are eager to find the next Beyond Meat or the next Impossible Foods. And so some of the products that startups mail me are really good. They're delicious. And they do a pretty good job of imitating conventional meat, milk, and egg products. But I've got to say, a lot of them are mediocre, and some of them are downright bad. And I think that variance in quality could very well threaten the long-term viability of the plant-based sector. Like I mentioned, it's been really hot over the last five years, but the growth is starting to slow. And that means that these 
plant-based innovators really need to be able to step up their quality to bring consumers back for more. You know, these startups and, and people are investing billions of dollars into this industry. And you made a great point in the article, right? If for the future of this to keep taking off, you know, if there's a bad product in a store, something that might not taste so great, and someone says, you know what, I'm going to try something for different for the first time, and that's the one that they got, and it tasted horrible, well, that's going to put a damper on that customer for future things. And, and so that's kind of the worry, at least from the industry. Tell us a little bit about some of the best things and some of the worst things that you had, because I love the way you put it in there. You know, you've had all sorts of stuff. You've had enough chicken tenders and chicken nuggets to uh, feed a small village. You know, some of these are a little bit easier, but right, taste and texture are some of the top things that customers are really concerned with. I kind of think of these products in two categories. The first are the products that do a pretty good job of imitating conventional meat, milk, and eggs. And in that category, you know, a lot of the leaders are leaders for a reason. They're they're getting close to mimicking meat, milk, and eggs. And, and some of those are ones that listeners have probably heard of, like Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, Oatly, Eat Just, their, their egg product. And the second category are products that I think are really good, but maybe don't taste quite like meat, milk, or eggs. And for some of those, I think of companies like Field Roast or Boca Burgers from, you know, the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And there's also, uh, you know, a company called Lily's Vegan Pantry, which has been around for decades out of Taiwan and doesn't taste quite like meat, but is a great product. And then, you know, there's a third category of companies that I think aren't meeting either category. They're not good and they don't really taste like meat or milk. So there's a wide, a wide array of quality and this next generation of plant-based companies are really trying to not just cater to the vegetarians and vegans out there. They're trying to cater to the so-called flexitarians, the people who yeah. still eat meat. They don't identify as a vegetarian, but they're curious about these products and they maybe want to try to eat more vegetarian products for whether it's their health, the environment, animal welfare. And to convince those so-called flexitarians to keep buying their products, they really need to focus on quality. But as I mentioned, there's there's a lot of inferior products out there. And so to keep them coming back, I think one of the biggest issues that we're seeing is that they're just rushing products to market too fast. They're trying to kind of strike while the plant-based iron is hot. And we're seeing that, that it could be turning potential flexitarians away from repeat purchases. Yeah, I mean, you make the point in the article, right? Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, they all spent many years behind the scenes developing these things, perfecting them before they started to market. And even then they changed once they came out after they got feedback from customers and whatnot. So rushing things out, you know, it could be a double-edged sword, right? Uh, one, it can come out too early and not be a success. Other, maybe it can light a fire under them and really make the product a little bit better. The last question I have, uh, well, two really quick. Uh, tell me a little bit about the cell-cultured meats, because that's kind of the next big thing. And I've been really interested in those. I haven't sampled them myself. But right before that, since you follow this industry for Vox, are you yourself vegetarian or vegan? Or are you, would you consider yourself a flexitarian? So I myself am a vegan and I've been vegan for quite some time. And so it's interesting to try all these products. Um, you know, I'm not really the uh, ideal demographic. Again, a lot of these companies are trying to bring in the flexitarians, the ones who have really high expectations and want these products to taste just like meat and milk and eggs. So when it goes, when it comes to cell cultured meat, 
that's kind of the next evolution, so to speak, of the alternative protein category. You know, plant-based meat, milk, and eggs, they've been around for centuries and centuries. But now what some companies are trying to do is not just take plant-based ingredients and try to make them taste like animals, but actually grow meat, real meat, just using animal cells. And so what these startups are doing are taking small biopsies from living animals. They don't have to kill the animals. They take a small biopsy and they feed the animal cells different types of nutrients. And over time, those cells develop. They can be muscle cells. They can be fat cells and become meat. And I actually had the opportunity to try a range of cell-cultured meat products, including salmon, chicken, sausages, a burger, uh, when I was in San Francisco recently. And, you know, I've got to say, I was impressed. They were much more meaty than even the best plant-based products. Um, however, this whole endeavor is very expensive. A lot of these right. cell-cultured companies have raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's also a lot of skepticism that, it, that they'll ever be able to produce large volumes of meat at scale, at a similar price point as conventional meat. And so whether they can do that, it's still years, probably decades away if they can. And they're also going to need to be able to persuade consumers to give it a try. I think some consumers might be really curious to try it. Some might be leery. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Diver is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 